Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda K. Lindemann Zichrona Levracha, is the research arm of our high school where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, and our producers for this podcast are Rabbi Avi Bloom, Director of Technology at SAR High School, and Phil Raymond, our media specialist. On our recent podcast, we have discussed the work of our Gemara faculty, Beit Midrash, and what it means to study a sugya in depth with our students front and center in our minds. Today's podcast focuses on the actual teaching of Gemara in the high school classroom and some larger trends in the high school and post-high school Torah Shabal Peh world. I am thrilled to discuss these topics with Rabbanit Lisa Schlaff, Director of Judaic Studies at SAR High School. Rabbanit Schlaff has been at SAR High School since the very beginning, in 2003, teaching both Tanakh and Torah Shabal Peh, and overseeing all of Judaic studies, as well as our davening, Israel guidance, you name it. Rabbanit Shlaf previously joined us for a conversation about spirituality in Yeshiva high schools, and I'm very excited to dive into this discussion today. Lisa, welcome back to the Grand Conversation. Thank you so much, Shmuel. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm really excited to talk about all these things going on in our high school and beyond, but I want to begin with your story, your Gemara learning history. When did you start learning specifically Gemara and Torah Shaval Peh? And what, who were the individuals and which institutions were critical for both your development as a learner and then for you to have the skills that you have as a Gemara educator? Thanks, Shmuel. That's a fun place to start. Um, I actually did not start learning Gemara until later in life. I went to an all-girls high school, um, learned a lot of Gemara off of Xerox sheets, kind of related to whatever particular halachic topic or idea we were discussing in class. Um, uh, I came to learning Gemara when I started college um, and realized that I actually had a lot of free time. and. Uh, looked at my schedule and having been a typical yeshiva day school student with a regularly crammed schedule and co-curriculars and got to college and realized that I only had class a few hours a week and sort of said, scratched my head and said, what am I going to do with my time? Um, and I had a friend who offered to learn Gemara with me and that ended up being a two hour a day multi-year chavruta. Um, really thank him for all of my Gemara knowledge. Um, but I think the way that I came to Gemara, um, which was a bit independently and sitting in the Beit Midrash and uh, pulling out a Gemara and just working through things on my own, has shaped a lot of the way that I think about Gemara education. Um, less teacher-centered and uh, the teacher kind of giving off all of the information and much more focused on what does it mean to be a kid who's sitting with a safer and being taught really how to kind of work through that on your own. Um, very skills focused um, and very much focused on the idea that you got to work hard on something and uh, kind of come, come through it and at the end feel good about your accomplishments. So I'm just blown away a little bit by that because the proficiency and the expertise and the kind of overall yidiot you have and the comfort you have with all kinds of different topics in Gemara, 
to, to think that that emerged from learning Gemara a couple hours a day in college and then uh, I'm assuming for some years beyond that, there, how did you fill in all the gaps that, that maybe um, your male counterparts would have had from years in yeshiva and from years in learning in high school and the like? Two things to say to that. Number one, there are plenty of gaps, um, and those still exist. And thank God, you know, learning is a lifelong endeavor. Um, but number two, I actually, you know, going back to my high school education, um, on the one hand, I'm sad that I didn't learn Gemara in high school, um, and particularly that the high school education of my in male peers was different than my own. On the other hand, I actually got a really solid textual-based education. Um, and so, yes, I learned Gemara off of Xerox sheets, but I learned Gemara. And that by the time I kind of came to a more serious learning on my own, I had a lot of the skills that I needed. I also spent a lot of time learning Tanakh, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and a lot of the Yediot, Kleliot, and general knowledge. Um, if you are in an environment of serious Torah learning in a textual kind of way, that means a lot and can carry a lot. Great. So um, I, I guess one follow-up is, is to kind of how did the, the I'll, I'll give a full disclosure, I had a, a son who had Rabbanit Schlaf last year as his Gemara teacher, and... We should just talk about Nate Hain. That's yes, what we, we can do that. podcast about Nate Hain. <laughs> but it turned him on to learning Gemara. It really enhanced his skills. So I'm curious about how the, the curricular and the pedagogy pieces fell in. And you mentioned that it was driven by your own experience, but like professionally speaking or, or educationally speaking, how did you develop some of the, the, the expertise in curriculum and, and pedagogy? So I'm a, I'm a Talmidah of Rabbi Moshe Khan, who um, was Niftar this year, um, and uh, spent some time learning with him at Drisha, spent some time learning with Rabbi David Silber at Drisha as well. Um, and the idea of uh, going through Gemara kind of line by line and really understanding what it means and not moving on until you actually really understand what it means. Um, and again, working through things on your own in the Beit Midrash um, and then coming back to it. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time on Brisker Lumdos. Um, I am all for like, let's actually really understand what the Gemara is saying before we go to the Rishonim. And then once we understand what the Gemara is saying, we'll actually have a much better sense of what the Rishonim are actually questioning and struggling with. Um, and that's, those are the people who shaped a lot of how I think about teaching Gemara. Great. So well, you've already started touching upon this, but I feel like it's worth uh, having a, a little bit deeper dive into. And that is the question of what, for you, are the critical elements of a productive, successful high school Gemara class? What goals are front and center for you? What are the most important things that your students take away from uh, from a Gemara class? What what is it? This you've mentioned the skills. What what kind of skills are you talking about? What about love of learning uh, and Judaism? The content, etc. Okay, so I'm going to start with a pet peeve of mine, if that's okay, um, which is that often when we hear people talk about goals of Gemara, they're often presented as a dichotomy, right? Are, are we 
interested in getting students to like love learning and be excited about learning or are we interested in getting students to actually learn and like know how to pick up a Gemara and read it um I'm not a fan at all of that dichotomy I really think that if you believe in kids in a strong way and in their abilities that students like learning when they feel capable, right? And this is for students of any level. This is not just for stronger students and it's not just for weaker students, right? The bottom line is I want students to feel good about themselves through learning Torah and students feel good about themselves when they've accomplished something. Feel Students don't feel good about themselves when a, when a teacher has told them something and then they can study for a test and they can forget about it. But if a student is actually feeling like they have spent time working through something and, you know, yesterday I didn't know these five lines of Gemara and then today I worked on them and I know them and tomorrow I'm going to know another five lines and at the end of the year I'm going to know a lot because it's something that I've invested in. That's actually a Kenyan of Torah. That helps students feel connected to Torah, um, and they need to be encouraged, and it obviously needs to be scaffolded for students of different levels, but I very strongly feel that it's not about let's make this you know, super entertaining and exciting or let's make this serious. The entertaining and exciting also comes through just feeling good about what you've accomplished, and that's our work as teachers to help students number one, accomplish, and number two, make sure that they feel good when they accomplish. So you've already kind of hinted at an answer to this question, but I want to push you a little bit further because I think one of the questions that I get from congregants and from some of the students here um, is why do we invest so much class time? Why is there such a heavy dose of Gemara for our students? Our students have very busy schedules. They're taking lots of classes. They're doing, we're trying to expose them not just to the general studies and Judaic studies curriculum, but also to the fine arts and languages and engineering and everything else. But we have clung to having a significant amount of time devoted to Gemara for every student across all four grades, across all uh, levels. And I guess the question that I have is, is that heavy dose of Gemara educationally advisable for every single yeshiva high school student? And how does tracking, which we do for Judaic studies, impact on your view of the, you know, the different goals that we have for Torah Shabbat Pet classes? Okay, that's a great question, Shmuel. Um, I want to start with the following. When we talk about Gemara at SAR, but also in general, right, we're talking about the world of Chazal. Um, so we're not necessarily talking about just learning Bavakama, and we're not necessarily talking about just learning Sanhedrin, but we're really talking about helping our students understand uh, the project of Chazal writ large, right? What, what, what were the rabbis trying to do with the Torah Shabbatav, with the written Torah? Um, and to do that, you need to spend time learning Bavakama, and you need to spend time learning Sanhedrin, but you also need to spend time learning Halacha, and you also need to spend time um, working through 
rabbinic stories, agadot. Um, so do I think that all of our students need a, a heavy dose of Gemara? Not necessarily, but I think all of our students need a heavy dose of Chazal. Um, and so I think that's what we're trying to do. And I, over the years at SAR, and particularly in some levels rather than others, we really have broadened it out to, you know, it's not we're going to turn this off and then turn the next off. Um, but who are the students who would really benefit by doing more more rabbinic stories? Who are the students who would really benefit by doing a little bit more halakha? Um, and I think that there's room for, the world of Chazal is very big and large, and I think that there's room for everybody within that. Um, and the, the second thing I want to say to that is I really do believe that with enough scaffolding, all students can also really learn the Gemara Bavakama, um, that it's not, I don't want to dumb things down for students. I don't want to say, you know, okay, you, you know, you're not in the higher track. We're just going to tell you stories all day. Um, students want to learn. They want to feel accomplished in their learning. Um, and they really can do Gemara. Um, they can do it not only on a level of ideas, but and, and theory, but they really can do it on a textual level if it's if it's broken down enough, um, if the right sugyot are chosen, if they're given enough encouragement, and that again is what it, what's going to help them feel good about themselves. Great, um, I, I happen to agree with you, and I, I I agree that we've also shifted things. I know from the Beit Midrash Fellows Program, you know, we used to do kind of bikut across multiple levels, and kind of didn't differentiate as much. And now we've introduced more agadot, especially with ninth grade and, and kind of selecting the sections of Gemara in 10th and 11th grade that are a little bit more um, the kinds of things that students of a variety of levels can grapple with and, and discuss and think about. So I think that's, that's true certainly in the Beit Midrash and, uh, and in the classroom as well. Can I make another point about tracking? Um, this is not really a Gemara point, but this is something that's been on my mind recently that I, I'd like to raise since, since I have you in the audience right now. Um, I think it is very worthwhile to think deeply about how certain students get placed in certain tracks um, in a way that probably predates high school. Um, I think that if you look at kind of lower tracks at times, there are students in lower tracks who may be there not because they need uh, the Gemara to move at a more deliberate pace, but maybe because at a younger age they had a behavioral issue or ADHD and they needed to be in a smaller class environment at that point. Um, but then what ends up happening is that it's really hard if you've been pulled out of Hebrew for two years or if you you know haven't learned those skills, it's really hard to catch up on, on three years and then be, you know, be back in, in kind of a grade level class or a more advanced class. And I think one of the things that we need to think about um, in a really K through 12 kind of way is can our grade level classes, can our more advanced classes be a little more flexible in terms of being able to accommodate students who may have, you know, may not be able to sit for the full 40 minutes of a class and may need to take a five minute break or may need a standing desk instead of sitting at a chair for 40 minutes, um, may need a different kind of work in the Beit Midrash. Um, 
But I think sometimes we're so strictly tracked that we are doing some students a disservice. It's something I've been thinking a lot about a lot recently. I'm going to follow up on that, that one of the challenges with Judaic studies tracking, which you don't have on the general studies side, is kind of the motivation and the social group being such uh, significant factors in our tracking. So even in our honors classes, we have a range of ability and intellectual capacity because we have students who want to be with a certain group of other students who are very motivated religiously to learn and to take on extra learning. And I think the, the opposite is also true. Sometimes you have exceptionally bright students who either have a learning issue or motivation challenges in Judaic studies in some of our lower tracks. And that makes it, that makes it tricky and difficult and, and hard to always navigate. I had a very rewarding experience teaching our uh, 12.1 uh, Gemara track many years ago because it was a more homogenous group of students who were less motivated or had been pulled out of Gemara in, in middle school, but by then had caught up. And it was one of the, the best teaching experiences I had. And then the following year, same class, but a whole different group of students, many of whom had like significant learning issues, others who were very bright and just lacked religious motivation. And it was the kind of thing where it was really hard to kind of have a classroom that was cohesive because of those different kinds of groups. I'm just sharing my experience to kind of validate what you're saying about how hard it, it, it is. And in some ways, you know, it's harder than the general studies where you can go, okay, how did the person do on the placement test? And that's the end of the, the, the discussion. Right. Agreed. And, you know, religious motivation is definitely something that is a piece of the picture when we look at how students are tracked. Um, but I, I'm not sure how much it should be. Um, I'm not, you know, it, it, it should not be that there are students in, in one track that are more religiously motivated than students in another track. Um, and I think that a little bit more attention into how this plays out in a K through 12 kind of way is, is warranted on our part. Great. So I, I want to shift our focus a little bit now um, to the transition from uh, high school to post-high school, and you shared at the be beginning that kind of the formative years of your Gemara learning was actually in college, post-high school, even post your year in Israel, which I believe was at Michlala. Uh, and, and I want to kind of talk a little bit about that transition from high school to post-high school, sharing some of my impressions and kind of getting your sense of things. Um, and this has been a focus of Machon Siach this year as we've had kind of panels uh, looking at the years beyond uh, the high school years. Uh, and I want to focus first on, on some of the gender issues in terms of Gemara study. Um, we found that some of our students, are, our female students, go to programs and are, are really more prepared than their Israeli counterparts for heavy Gemara study, and that the expectations sometimes for them 
is not the same, certainly not the same as it is for their male counterparts. And that over the course of the year, you know, there's there's kind of a, a rapid growth for some of our male graduates and less so for our female graduates. So I, I wanted to ask you about that impression and kind of get your sense of if a young woman is interested in really learning Gemara intensively and seriously, are, are we are we handing them off uh, to institutions that are going to take them to the next level? That is a great question. I'm going to start with an anecdote, and then I'll circle around to answer your question. So a, about two years ago, um, I got an email from one of our alumni who was in Israel um, who wanted to have a conversation about how her Gemara Shir was going. She was at a, a high-level Israeli uh, yeshiva, and uh, we got on the phone, and she said, Ravanichlov, here's my problem. Yesterday in Shir, we were learning this Gemara, and the teacher paused and asked us to reflect on how Rava might be feeling after his opinion was rejected three times. And she said to me, I don't care how Rava is feeling. I just want to learn the Gemara and the toast vote. And nobody has ever asked me in all of my years of learning Gemara to pause and reflect on how Rava is feeling. I mean, it, it was very funny. Um, uh, she was clearly really uncomfortable with this. Um, and so I, I raise that as something that our, our students actually do face, which is we do have many girls who are you know, high-level learners and going to programs in Israel where there is a high level of learning Gemara, but they may be learning Gemara in a bit of a different way. And they feel like I am not learning Gemara necessarily on the same level as my male counterparts because I'm not learning it in the same way. And, and I want to say two things to this. Number one, a little bit of a new and fresh perspective is good. Meaning, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to stop and think about how Rava feels, you know, if his opinion is rejected. I'm not sure that's, not, that's what we should be doing all of the time. Um, I think we should also be learning Tosfot. Um, but I do think that there is something to the Israeli ethos of learning Torah um, that is a bit more spiritual, that is a bit more pause and reflect on what we're learning um, that our students have a lot to gain from. And I, and I want them to, you know, I, I want that for my own children. Um, I think that that is a positive thing. It needs to be balanced with a lot of serious, you know, Talmud Torah and making sure that you're covering and that you're, you feel you, you are accomplishing and getting through material as well. Um, so my first point is a little bit of that perspective, a little bit of bringing in a bit more emotion into, into our Talmud Torah, I, I really think is a good thing. Um, my, my second point is I believe that often um, our students are, our female students are put in a position where they are choosing either to spend time learning at a very high level or spend more time learning with Israelis. Um, because in general, the uh, Israeli yeshiva system for Gemara for women um, isn't, you know, unfortunately isn't at, at, at the level that um, some of the American yeshiva day schools are. And that can be a really hard choice for kids. Um, 
A lot of the Israel schools recently have been, you know, doing a little more tracking so that you'll be in a shear with pretty much Americans for Gemara and then more integration with Israelis for everything else. Um, that's one way of solving the problem. Um, but sometimes, unfortunately, there still are, you know, hard choices to be made. I think this is something that is changing. I feel positively about the direction that it's heading in. But this is... Um, it is a problem and an issue. I agree with you. I want to ask you a somewhat related kind of question. Again, this is anecdotal and my impression and not necessarily backed up by data. Um, but my, my sense is that some in our community in particular, in the SAR high school community, almost take for granted the opportunities that they've had the equality that they've had in terms of Gemara learning. Um, and when they're looking at programs in Israel, um, they're, they're, they're emphasizing social dynamic and other factors. You know, some of the factors that you talked about over the, the intensity and the quality of the Torah Shabbat opportunities. Um, and I guess I want to ask you, are you finding that? Is that just, you know, a couple of isolated kinds of cases? Is this part of a trend um, that we've reached the point where learning Gemara by women in our community is so, is so taken for granted that, um, that the women who are capable of doing it are still opting out of the opportunity to further develop it? Uh, what are your thoughts? That's a really interesting question. Um, I would be hesitant to declare a trend. Um, I don't really see a trend, although I very much understand the question. Um, I, I'll start with this. I think it's great that our girls and our boys are taking Gemara learning for women for granted. I think it's great that they take it for granted that they might have a female Gemara teacher. I think it's great that they might never have heard of a Gemara in Sota that says, you know, kol malamid bito Torah ki dati flute. Um, that anyone who teaches his daughter Torah, it's as if he's taught her frivolity. Um, that's not a Gemara that I, you know, want my students to necessarily be exposed to. And great that they can go through their lives and not necessarily know about that. Um, uh, I think, you know, what one read of, of your question is to say that maybe it's a great thing that nowadays our students feel confident enough in their Gemara learning that if they, they don't need to prove anything, right? That if they choose and say, you know what, I'd really be, rather be at a place that's gonna teach me a little more of cook because that's what I'm interested in right now, power to them that that's that that's a really good thing and to a certain extent I, I wish our boys felt some of that freedom a little bit more as well um as long as the girls who are feeling that I really want to continue learning Gemara at a very serious and high level still have those opportunities to do so that's a great I, that's a great answer and I, I I hope that that's the case and I I actually what, one thing you just said, I feel like I want our students to be familiar with that Gemara about Tiflut, but also to have kind of a an arsenal to respond and understand why perhaps that Gemara 
uh, can be interpreted in other ways or doesn't apply. Or there are other opinions in that Gemara which state that it's a good thing for women to study uh, to study Gemara. I want to circle back kind of as our last question. I started by saying you were you know, a Gemara teacher at SAR High School from the very beginning, from 2003. And I want to ask you to kind of take a moment to reflect on these 20 years and your sense of um, where, where we're at in this enterprise of teaching Gemara and, and specifically in the idea of one of the things that does make our school special, that we have female role models for both girls and boys um, as Gemara teachers, as Torah pet teachers, and, and kind of can you give us a little bit of a sense of, of, of how these 20 years have gone, things that surprised you, things that you still feel like we need to aspire to get better at? That's a big question. I, uh, I'll say the following. Here's what I think has remained constant that I feel really proud of. Um, and then I'll get to s- some questions that I have. Um, when the school was started, it really was started with a Beit Midrash in the center of the school um, and with a fellows program where the idea of learning Torah was not just you're sitting in your classes and your teacher's talking to you and you're taking notes, but there was really a kinyan um, that you have to make on Torah within the context of a Torah learning community. And there was a real cold Torah, voice of Torah in our Beit Midrash. Um, and that was really true from day one of the high school and is still true if you walk into our Beit Midrash on at 10 a.m. on a random Tuesday morning. Um, you will really see kids learning and feeling like they're part of a community of other people who are learning Torah. And I think that really shapes a lot of what happens in this building is the Beit Midrash atmosphere. Kids walk in and out of the Beit Midrash all the time, not necessarily just to learn, but there's a sense of like, hey, um, this, is, this is the place to be. Um, and I think that also goes to your tracking question, which is, you know, the Beit Midrash is not for our higher level classes only. It's for everybody. Everybody's spending time in the Beit Midrash in a scheduled kind of way. And then there are kids who pop in and out also. And that says something about the enterprise of Torah learning and who could be involved in Torah learning and what it means to not just do this thing on your own, but to do it in in a context of hearing other people learn Torah as well. Um, That's been a real constant. Um, One thing that I think has really shaped the way that we think about teaching and learning um, over the past, I would say, even five years. Um, and it's a good thing, but it's it raises a lot of questions, is the pr- plethora of online resources and particularly um, material and translation. So the fact that I could open Safaria, which is wonderful, and really quickly get you know the English translation of Gemara um, or any of the other online tools that are available is amazing because it increases access to everybody, and that's great. Um, but what that means in terms of my role as a teacher and is my job as a teacher to help students be able to access um, these online resources and learn how to use them? Is my job as a teacher to really help students work in with the original language so that they feel comfortable with the Hebrew, they feel comfortable with the Aramaic? Um, and that, you know, that's certainly where I land is I, I really want my students to feel comfortable with the language in the original. Um, but that's been a real open question that, that needs a lot of discussion and kind of if you're going to fight that fight, you have to, you have to commit to fighting that fight. Um, so the technology 
technology piece is the piece that's kind of the most different now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, and I don't mean the technology in terms of distraction. I mean the technology in terms of just access. what's access and what's available, which is amazing. I love that I can, you know, get anything on Safari. But I I I really want my students to be to to feel like they are able to be facile with the text in in its original. And I guess one last question related to that I think you once wrote about how you filled out a camp form for somebody as as their Gemara Rebbe. Do you feel um, a sense of of pride that that here we have several outstanding women teaching Gemara and it's just not really a thing Absolutely. Uh, in our school? Yes, yes. The same way that like the Gemara and Sota is not a thing in our school. Um, uh, I do. I feel I, I feel a sense of pride about that. Great. I want to thank Rabbanit Lisa Schlaff for spending uh, some time with us discussing Gemara. This was a wonderful conversation. We look forward uh, to discussing further. And this podcast is going to be released alongside several of our papers, our smaller papers from our Gemara faculty, Beit Midrash, including a paper written by Rabbanit Schlaff on Ukimta and the role of Ukimta in studying Gemara. So please check that out until the next time on the Grand Conversation podcast. Thank you.